Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Female Gaze Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Katz, and I am joined today by Alana Rodriguez. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Alana will be a regular co-host and contributor to this podcast. How's it going? It's going fantastic. Yeah. Having a great day. Good. Jesse and I have been together for the past 48 hours straight. So. It's true. <laughs> Talking about all things female gaze. Yep. A lot of female shit. Yeah. Um, so in just a few minutes, we, we will be joined by author Camille Perry, our very first guest, whose latest novel, When Katie Met Cassidy, has helped ring in what many have called the return of the rom-com. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, which we can debate whether or not that's even a real thing. But it's certainly something that people have been saying since the summer when Crazy Rich Asians came out and to all the boys I've loved before. Um, so Camille wrote a book that is a rom-com, but not any old rom-com, because it features two women in a relationship, which is hard to come by, sadly, and uh, gives us lots of things to talk about in terms of what the female gaze looks like in the rom-com genre. And Camille also uh, is going to talk to us about her hot takes on classic rom-coms like the works of Nora Ephron. Maybe we'll get into Woody Allen. We'll see if we want to wade into those tricky waters. Uh, And also, this doesn't exactly count as a rom-com, I don't think. Well, we'll talk about that, too. But uh, (laughs) what we all think about Star is Born, the movie on everyone's minds and lips and Spotify playlists lately. (laughs) So, uh, okay, so we'll get to Camille in just a second. But first, since this is the first episode of the Female Gaze podcast, what does the female gaze mean exactly? What are we trying to figure out on this pod? Why have we given up our precious free time? (laughs) to talk about it every waking minute because that's what we're going to be doing. Okay, so the female gaze. Well, let's start with this. Some of you may be familiar with the term the male gaze, which is something that I remember studying in college many moons ago. Um, But I'll be very honest. I didn't take it totally seriously at the time. In the ye olde days of the early to mid-aughts, when not everyone called themselves a capital F feminist, right. it felt a little bit forced to sit in a class and analyze films where our professor was constantly saying, look at this candlestick in the background. This is phallic imagery. This is the male gaze. These male directors are forcing this down our throats. And we kind of didn't want to hear it, some of us, and uh, didn't want to choose to uh, kind of accept that that gaze was being forced on us in all of the films and books and art that we were consuming. But as I have grown up (laughs) and uh, come to consume more art and culture and and analyze it and learn how to look at things with a more analytical eye, and as I've myself started to make films and write, et cetera, I've become painfully aware that the male gaze does exist everywhere. Um, And it's not just because it's mostly men creating things, although that is a big part of it. Um, It's also because even women who are creating 
have grown up with the male gaze, so you kind of can't help but regurgitate what you've taken in your whole life. And you also don't realize, right? Like, I feel like yeah, in the totally very beginning, exactly, when you and I first started talking about this, I was like, God damn, this is a real thing. Like, yes. you have so many feelings growing up, when you're, whether it's like magazines or TV, movies, right? And you have like an issue like inside. You're like, why do I feel so like disgusted by this? <laughs> right. Right? And then it's like. Or, or unmoved or by unmoved. it. Or the opposite. I have no feelings because somehow it's not connecting. Right. Exactly. And then finally someone says, okay, well, male gaze versus female gaze. And you're like, well, that fucking makes sense. Right. It's, and now it's all you think about. It's something that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And that's part of why I wanted to start this podcast, because now I see it in all things. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't stop seeing it and thinking about it. And so now I need to talk about it. Well, and not enough people talk about it. And not enough people talk about it. And it's actually detrimental to our culture, the way that we raise our children. Like, we'll get into all of this. This is going to be a conversation that will never end. I'm already feeling <laughs> heated. In the I know. I'm already, already feeling that passion. Yeah. That's right. Um, so I, I just want to mention, so the male gaze is a term that was coined by Laura Mulvey, who is a feminist film theorist from Britain. Uh, she wrote an essay in 1975 called Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema, where she pretty much for the first time defined this term. Um, uh, there's one quote from it, which is the gender power asymmetry is a controlling force in cinema and constructed for the pleasure of the male viewer which is deeply rooted in patriarchal ideologies and discourses, That's which is <laughs> you explain a, lo <laughs> a lot of academic talk uh, for basically, I think what she's saying is that um, there is uh, an imbalance in the content itself and who is creating the content and who it's being created for. And uh, it's kind of tied into the general patriarchy that we live in, which is another word that will come up a lot on this podcast uh, and how we're toppling it. Um, okay, so, and Laura Mulvey, someone that I, again, was taught in this gender studies class in college, took it in, kind of discarded it. Um, and I'm like, I'm saying that to throw myself under the bus. Uh, I was stupid and naive. Then Jill Soloway gave a speech at the Toronto Film Festival in 2016 that finally made it all click for me. Jill Soloway is, of course, most well-known as a showrunner who created Transparent. And in this speech, Jill attempted, for the first time to my knowledge, to publicly define the female gaze. Um, the speech is still on YouTube, and I urge everyone to watch it because Jill makes a really strong argument for why the female gaze is so important. And even if you have complicated feelings about Jill themselves, because I know many of you do, and we will certainly get into all of that at some point, um, I still think the speech is super helpful in defining the female gaze as more than just the opposite of the male gaze. The female gaze, uh, as Jill talks about, is directing with emotion, with empathy, depicting women and other traditionally marginalized people as three-dimensional humans with their own desires, their own needs, their own agency, not just props to serve the story of the straight cis man, and not just for the viewing pleasure of men either, um, treating women as complicated people who are not just the virgin or the whore, the Carrie or the Miranda or the Samantha or the Charlotte. We are all of them. And um, there's one quote in particular from the speech that I really love, which is this. The female gaze seeks to destroy all gazes. She is other gaze, queer gaze, trans gaze, intersectional gaze. Now, Alana and I personally check off a couple of those boxes. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I mean, I shouldn't oh, speak we do? for you. I shouldn't speak for you. <laughs> no, no, yeah, we do. We do. Didn't mean to out you. Um, I'm outed. We will be bringing guests on this podcast who do represent the full rainbow of gazes because representation is a fucking rainbow. That's right. So that's what we aim to give you guys on the show. Yeah. We want to talk about all of the things with all of the people. We don't want it to just be um, narrow-minded, and we don't want it to be like the same kind of conversation that we are used to hearing in general in life, um, you know, in media. So I think just to Jesse's point, it's about every other gaze that is not perhaps the cis male gaze. Camille's our first guest today. Every episode we'll have on a guest who has either created something or operates in a world that we want to put a spotlight on in that particular episode Thought leaders, thinkers, writers. And also, we just want to talk about important shit, right? right? At the end of the day, it's not like we're here as the all-knowing duo that's going to talk about everything female gazy because we know about it. Right. We don't, right? It's just there's not enough people talking about it. Yeah. So if you hear us misspeak, if you hear us speak out of a place of privilege that you don't think we're even aware of, mm -hmm. if we're missing something... Luckily, we have something called social media. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a Twitter account, Instagram account, and also importantly, we have our iTunes page. You can go to any of those places and let us know what you love and what we've fucked up about. Yeah, slide in the DMs. Yeah, we tell us. Hear it. We have no egos about this. We really just want to be part of the conversation, which means that we are two people in a sea of millions of people who are also talking about this. Exactly. Um, so, yes, we have the microphones, but you you have the power to help us shape this conversation. Um, and, like, honestly, guys, we just think it's really fucking important because representation is everything. Yeah. And, like, I think Alana and I both feel like if we had grown up seeing more of ourselves reflected back to us in the culture, it, I mean, it would have changed our lives. Yeah. I, I would have wasted so much less time trying to be something that I was not. And it, like, hurts me to think about the younger me that was taught, like, okay, you want to direct a movie? You have to be like Scorsese. Watch every Scorsese right. film and then like try to figure out how to get to that. And it's like, well, no fucking wonder I never became Scorsese because I don't want to make that shit. Right. I don't. That's not the world that I see. It's not how I see things. It's not how I create things. Yeah. So we need to make more stuff that reflects back more people so that they can understand themselves. Yeah, we I mean, I'll speak for myself, but assuming you too, growing up like who as a woman was someone that you truly looked up to that looked like you, thought like you, paved a way for you. Yeah. Right? Like, I, it, my, no one None. for me. I don't fucking know. I'm trying None. to think. I'm like, I have no idea. There wasn't even a Disney character that looked like me. Right. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, I, whatever. It's, it's garbage. But I think now it's just so important because along the lines of education and being inclusive and just wanting to talk, mm -hmm. we need to set an example for the kids who are growing up in a fucking society that is, is so fucked up in so many ways sometimes. And... And kids now more than ever, especially with social media, with everything that they have at their disposal, it's even more important for them to have people to look up to. Totally. To talk with. Yeah. To see that are like them. Yeah. Because sometimes you don't know who you are until you see it in somebody else. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't have the tools to identify. Yeah. You don't have the language. You don't have the symbols. Yeah. You know? And if you know who you are, sometimes you don't know if that's okay. Right. <laughs> you you know? think I'm the only one. Yeah. 
Like, I remember, and this is going off a fucking tangent now. Do it. But I remember being in Africa growing up, and it was like either a babysitter or someone. She was in a swimsuit and took us to the pool. And I remember going under the water, and I saw her, and I was like, oh, my God, like, she is so beautiful. But I didn't understand, you know what I mean? I've always... I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until fucking college where I was like, I want to fuck some girls. Like, what? You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Because totally. it's just like there was nothing for us. Right. And the feelings and the person I knew I was, I just didn't know if that was okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I think you and I will probably uh, repeatedly mention what our gay roots were on this podcast. <laughs> I have a feeling roots. it's going to come up a lot. Yeah. But even just to broaden this out for a second, something I just remembered going into uh, the studio today was the stat that I once heard reported by the Gina Davis Institute. And we should actually really try to have someone from that organization on the show because the statistics they have are like really informative and frightening and so thus motivational. But they figured out a few years ago, they did a study, they analyzed the background characters. So we're not even talking about the protagonists, right? We all know there aren't enough women protagonists, right. queer protagonists, people of color, all right. that. But the background people, people who don't have a speaking part, they don't have a name, in live action and animated family films, so films for kids, uh, 17, 17% of those background characters were women. So let me remind you, this includes animated films. This is not even like whatever possible excuse a studio could come up with of like, well, more men came to right. cast this background or <laughs> I don't know what excuse they even have but this is like a choice of an animator drawing a crowd of people in a cartoon it's still 83% male and it was her family content yeah right? this yeah. is specifically for kids so it makes me think of like Beauty and the Beast like Belle is you know walking through town and singing about how she loves <laughs> fucking books or whatever <laughs> <laughs> like it's only men that are in this town. Right. What? And like, what subliminal message right. are you giving to kids who are watching that? And it's like, oh, w- women literally don't exist in the world. Right. We just like don't even deserve to be out of the house. L- yeah. And if we're coming out with our little fucking books, prancing around, <laughs> it's a show. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're singing about it. Like, and very controversial if yeah. you read a book and you're a woman. Uh, and you're <laughs> <a> beast. Anyway, <laughs> you read? Yeah, you read. Oh. No, I don't want to fuck you because you read. (laughs) You have to go fuck a beast in a castle. That's not normal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sure, yeah, we could have a whole episode about that movie. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening to this show. (laughs) We hope that you will stick along with us for the ride because it is going to be a ride. Um, We hope to introduce you to a lot of cool shit uh, in the culture and a lot of exciting personalities that then you can follow. Um, Because, you know, like we said, we're not the smartest people at this. We're not the (laughs) best people at this. Um, We just want to be like the hosts of this salon of thinkers who are going to come in and hang out and and teach us. Yeah. Um, I like that you said salon. It's a salon. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. All right, so I don't know. I guess that you guys are gonna love Camille. Yes, her book I read in. <laughs> I bumped Record into people on the street. Yeah, it was less than forty-eight hours. Yeah, um, bumped into people on the street because I was holding it in public. It's just if you haven't read it, you have to. This is just. I'm. Like, we're really excited for you guys to listen to this episode today. Okay, I guess let's <laughs> get to our first guest on the Female Gaze Podcast, Camille Perry. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, Camille. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. This is so exciting. You are our very first guest on the Female Gaze Podcast. Wow, it's all happening. It's all real. We're so excited. I'm very excited. (laughs) When this podcast was just a little baby germ of a dream in my brain, Mm -hmm. um, I was talking to the friend who introduced us, Coco Lloyd, who also did the kick-ass artwork for this podcast. So if you guys like that logo... Give us a thumbs up. Yeah. And also shout out Coco who designed it. And we hope to eventually have merch. I'm thinking like trucker hats... Horny for you? impeachment. Horny for impeachment. <laughs> yes. All, all the things relating to everything that we're excited about, like impeachment. Um, But anyway, so I had told Coco about how I wanted to do this podcast, and one of the first reactions she had was that I needed to meet you. Hmm. So then we all met. And here we are. And here we are, just a few months later. <laughs> we manifested it. Yeah. We manifested Coco's dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so you are my newest best friend and <laughs> someone I like to brag about knowing. And because you had, what, just put out the book when Katie met Cassidy right before we met. Yeah, like, just about. It was in the, like, the same month, yep. I think. Um, and I think I sped read. Is that how you say it? Sped read it? Yeah, sped read. <laughs> I read it Speed in read? less, it just about 24 hours. Oh my God. Jesse was like, here's a book, you have to read it. I was literally bumping into people on the street, missing stops on the path. I was like, I have to finish this fucking book. And then I finished it and I was like, record time. Speed yeah. read. In fact, I'm pretty sure I caught you in a lie. I think you pretended to have started it before you did because you were yeah. like, oh yeah, like I, I started it, but I haven't finished it yet. I, ha- I-, I said, I haven't started it yet. And I was waiting for the weekend to be over. Remember, because I left it at work, and then you were like, "You have to start it." Right. Okay. So I was like, "And All I right. promised you it would be." You're like, fast, and she, "You can't put it down." <laughs> she goes, "It's going to take you." No, she goes, "We need to figure out when we're going to record this podcast. So let me know how long you think it'll take to read this book." And I was like, "Probably like two weeks, if I'm honest, you know." And she was like, "Trust me, it'll be faster." And then it was like 24 hours, and here we are. It's a quickie. Are. Yeah, it's a quickie <laughs> it is book. a quickie. Yeah. It's quickie. I feel like I'm ready for my reread. Okay. Like it's about, I mean, I did a little preparing for you to come on the pod because I was thinking about what we were going to talk about and what part I might ask you to share, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, anyway, so, okay, for those who aren't familiar yet, would you mind giving the little plot blurb to our audience? Sure. Um, when Katie McCassidy is a romantic comedy. Woo. I call it a romantic <laughs> comedy about gender and sexuality. Oh. The reason I describe it that way uh, is because it takes generally what, everyone is familiar with, with the uh, rom-com genre, um, those standard beats of meet, lose, get. Um, it's very conventionally plotted. However, I riff on that in a queer way. Yeah, baby. Um, so that's sort of what I'm going for here. Yeah. Was okay. that the first book of its kind for the LGBT community? I wouldn't dare say that. <laughs> um, however, the fact that it came out on a Penguin Random House put this book out. So a mainstream platform 
um, there's not a lot of that. There's yeah. a, there's there's a lot of um, self publishing and smaller imprints, and um, there's loads of queer um, material out there. Yeah, there isn't loads of queer material that's readily accessible to mainstream audiences, and that was really the that was really the goal here was to write this story in such a way that it it would it would apply to um, queer and straight audiences alike. Okay, you just said so much that I already have so many questions <laughs> about. So. I feel like the book has gotten a lot of amazing press and amazing in a sense that people are loving it. And also it's just appeared on a lot of lists, right? Especially during the summer, a lot of must read lists. Do you think part of that was helped by the fact that it was published by such a big named publisher? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, this is my second book. My first book, The Assistants, also came out um, on Putnam Penguin uh-huh. Random House. And... You know that book. That book came out in hardcover in 2016. The uh, paperback came out in 2017, and then when Katie McCassidy came out in 2018. So we were riding a bit of the momentum uh-huh. from the first mm-hmm. book, and right. I think um, that certainly helped. Uh-huh. It also could have backfired if people really, really hated this yeah. book because <laughs> yeah. then I mean, second books are notoriously totally. you get that sophomore slump right. where um, you may not get so much media attention. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that really, really helped was that the book came out in June, which is Pride Month. Mm. Oh, yeah. So there were a lot of tie-ins there, right? Uh, which were really fun and um, I think I think got us a little bit of good press. Yeah. Are you just a very fast writer? Like, when did you write The Assistants versus when Katie met Cassidy? How did they come out so closely to each other? Well, The Assistants, I mean, The Assistants was pretty much done long before it came out okay. because it was a first book. There was a really long um, media buildup. Uh-huh. Um, so I had almost like two years <laughs> From the point mm. at which, like, I knew that book had sold, right? To when um, it was on shelves, I was yeah. already working on when Katie met Cassidy. Okay, at that crazy. point, got it. Um, okay, so you gave a very pretty description of the plot of the book, but that wasn't really like it wasn't the, the plot. 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 Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, you, I realized I didn't really. I didn't. So the plot, get in basically. There. Uh, yeah. So give it to us. You've got Katie, who <laughs> is, um, she's, you know pretty much a good girl. She was born and raised in Kentucky um, to conservative parents. Pretty, um, She grew up with religion. Uh-huh. Um, the thing about Katie is she's really not someone who ever would have imagined that she's someone who would fall in love with another woman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She's fairly conventional. She's not like a prude or anything like that, but um, she's, uh, you know, she's not someone who I think would ever see herself with another woman, especially a woman like Cassidy, who is is not just female, but also a very masculine presenting female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, even someone in this day and age like Katie, who, who grew up sort of conventionally, um, may totally be okay um, emotionally with being like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm gay. Maybe yeah. I like women. Maybe I want to have sex with this woman. Yeah. Um, but the fact that Cassidy's also so genderqueer, just adds a little bit of, of gravitas to it. Mm-hmm. Cassidy um, is basically Katie's polar opposite. She's born and bred New Yorker. She's out and proud. She never met, like, a bespoke suit that she didn't love. Yeah. Um, when they first meet, Katie actually mistakes Cassidy for a man, briefly. So it's not that Cassidy is trying to pass, but sh- um, she's easily mistaken for a man uh, on first look, mm-hmm. which Katie does sort of... Uh, on first look mistake her for a man but then um 
they they encounter one another again. There are t- there are sort of two meet cutes in this book because um, why only have one meet cute? Yeah, everyone loves one. Um, <laughs> so why not so love two? Their first one doesn't go so well. Their second one goes better, and then um, they sort of become fast friends from there, and then it evolves. Dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> okay, so. I have questions about the decisions that you made about everything you've just described. First of all, why did you decide to write a rom-com? I knew I wanted to write a rom-com for a lot of reasons. Uh Um, One thing that's sort of funny is as we sit here now, right right here today, and Uh like when this airs, the rom-com is like in the middle of a resurgence. Like, but when I started this book um, and knew I wanted to write a rom-com, the genre of rom-com was all re- was sort of like a throwaway. Like mm-hmm. yeah. no one was making rom-coms. No one was, re- you know. Do you agree that it's in a resurgence, or is that just something we're saying because we had like two this summer, like two films this summer that? Well, then wouldn't that be a resurgence? Well? As I think it to is. None. I think it is. There's thing pieces on it. There's, I mean, math. People. But two is more than zero. That's right. Yeah, but does two qualify as a resurgence? I don't know. Anyway, I think yes. there's more than two. Okay. I think there's more than two. I think there's there's many more than two. Um, many of them are on Netflix and people are just watching them over and over and over again. Right. Like, yeah, when um, did Duck Butter come out? <laughs> That's a romance. Okay. It's not a rom-com, but it's... Uh, it's well, okay. I laughed because I'm thinking of, like, you're thinking all like the boys when I Harry met before. Sally. No, the recent one. Oh, the recent Step ones. it up. To Step all the boys oh, I loved before. Yeah. Which one's Step it up? Step it up is, it an, is a Netflix original. Um, Set it up. Set it up. Oh my God, I combined. You've Channing Tatum <laughs> on your mind? Yes, I clearly do. <laughs> I was like, you guys are talking about old movies. What, what conversation? Yeah, 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 are yeah. yeah. I, got, I got lost in the sauce. I was just thinking just romance. Set it up. Set it up. Set it up is not step it up. An essential <laughs> distinction I was neglecting. <laughs> Set it up. You're right. Set it up might have kicked off the resurgence. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, anyway. So when you were thinking about writing the book, this hadn't started yet, and no. you were missing the rom com? So you I thought, felt like, why don't I bring I it I felt back? like it was a, no, I didn't, I, no, I'm not that full of myself. Um, <laughs> Feels bring it way back. more humble than she I'm bringing yeah, sexy back. Ooh. <laughs> no. You did with uh, this book. JT yeah. already did that for us. Um, no, I, I always knew I wanted to write a queer story. Um, that was my second question. Why a queer rom-com? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I I had tried writing queer stories long, long, long before um, I even came up with the idea for The Assistance, which was my first novel. Um, I tried writing uh, short stories and all different sorts of things, playing with form, and I just could never really get it quite right. Um, And then The Assistance happened, and I put all my other queer story ideas aside, and then when I knew, you know, it was time to sort of think up a new book. I would just went back to a lot of that old material, mm-hmm. but having had the years of experience of of writing a whole nother novel, um, I, I cracked the code of it and I figured out the package. I yeah. figured out um, the plot. I, you know, I I figured out that I was overthinking it, uh-huh. and what I really wanted to do was write a really um, conventionally structured story so that it could free me up to kind of riff on all of these other things. Yeah. And that's what I really liked about the rom-com was that you you're, you know what you're going to get going into it uh-huh. and that sort of frees you up to play on that and queer right. that up yeah. in, in lots, in like endless different ways. Totally. So besides the fact that the characters are queer, 
what else do you feel like you were trying to subvert in the rom-com genre? Or was that really it? Was that enough? Was like the structure kind of the Trojan horse of then exposing people to queer characters that they've never seen featured in a rom-com before? There's, there were, it was kind of a dance for uh-huh. me. Um, two things were going on simultaneously. One, I knew I wanted to write a book that, that, that was subversive, um, as you say, but I also wanted to write a book that would resonate with people who maybe don't think so much about even the meaning of the word subversive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So because this was coming out on my publisher, I wanted the, the, my, my fans from my other book to be able to come to this and have it be accessible mm-hmm. and have them um, fall into the story mm-hmm. and get swept away by what it is on its surface, which is a fun, fast-paced, yeah. romantic story. Um, so this book, depending on what you bring to the table, uh-huh. you're going to experience it very experience it very differently. Like when I talked about this book in a room full of librarians who are predominantly, you know, um, middle-aged women from the tri-state area, I uh-huh. talked about it very differently <laughs> than I would if I was going into like an NYU gender studies class with a bunch of kids who were studying Judith Butler. You uh-huh. know, yeah. right. So the, like the dance I had with this book was I wanted it to function as both. And uh-huh. I didn't want to alienate anyone. And that right. was really hard to pull off. I think that was the biggest challenge with this book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that's so important and valuable because so often the this kind of content that we create, and by we I mean like, I don't people like us in this room, right? Like creators, creators, but also like queer women, liberals, yeah. like yeah. you know, we are in the community, we know the community, we're interested in the content that's about the community. But at a certain point, you're preaching to the choir, right? If you're only telling stories where like you have to have a certain life or perspective to even understand like the entry point into that world and not immediately be put off by it, absolutely. Yeah. And then who are you really teaching? Right. I mean, I also think Can't it's important preach to, to the cr- choir. Yeah. I mean. It, at the same time, I guess my point is we need all of it. Yeah. We need the stuff that is of course. explicitly for the community and then also things like this where you're really opening a door that is rarely opened. Yeah. 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 I wanted it to be inclusive, not exclusive. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that's, uh, I mean, we could, we could like, I didn't want to put any jargon in this book. I didn't need any, I didn't want anyone to like need to need have it. a yeah. fancy, you know, gender background to be able to like get some of the stuff in this book you can there's stuff there's like those easter eggs in there for people who are looking for it uh-huh. um but can you, you don't need one? it um <laughs> i mean do we okay should we talk about the cassidy gender thing sure okay because yes. i, feel I like also want to talk about the katie we'll get to that too yeah well let you just, let me know because it's just, <laughs> no 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 but because of what camille just said i feel like let's start with cassidy yeah that um I think, you know, when I was first reading the book, and Alana, tell me if you had the same experience, when you first read the description of Cassidy, who Katie at first thinks is a man, and then you realize it's a woman, and then it's a queer woman, and you're like, oh, I wonder if this character is non-binary. Because in this moment in time, a lot of people who could be described that way identify or are starting to identify as non-binary. Now, that never comes up in the book. So what was that decision as the author? I wanted to put as few labels in this book as possible right. because I wanted it to be as open to interpretation um, to whoever whoever's hands it was in. Right. Um, you can absolutely make the argument that Cassidy is non-binary. Uh-huh. Um, there's, she uses female pronouns. Right. Right. Um, right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she's not 
not sure. binary. Um, totally. <laughs> so. I'm trying to remember. Does the word is the word butch in the book? No. Okay. Uh, when they're are, yes, Becky. Uh, um, Gina uses Gina, who's Cassidy's little little friend. Uh, oh, right, right, right. friend. Yeah. Uh, she she she's when Katie's first. Um, into her first uh, gay bar, uh-huh. she says, uh, yeah. Gina does use uh, uh, okay, butchers okay, and femmes. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, but about Cassidy? No, no. just right. sort of. Yeah. As it's, it's, that's actually sort of a, a comic relief line a little no, bit. No, totally. Yeah. It's like yeah, a yeah. little bit let the, right. let the tension out of the room a little <laughs> yeah, yeah, bit yeah, by yeah. just right. putting it out there and in a way that, you know, it wasn't, that was sort of a tongue in cheek line. Sure. Yeah. I guess I'm just saying, I don't, to my recollection, you don't really define Cassidy one way or another, besides using she, her pronouns, but otherwise, nope. yeah, you you can kind of assume what you want to about their gender yeah. identity, like, labels. Yeah. yeah, both of them. Right. Yeah, so, Alana, do you want to ask about Katie? Katie, yeah, so how, when, when you were creating the character of Katie, how conscious were you of using the female gaze when creating her? And I asked that or because, the male gaze. or the male gaze, I asked exa- exactly where I was going, um, because when I was reading about them, I thought, damn, Katie is, is the girl that we've all grown up seeing as like what society deems beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Like tall, blonde. I imagined her with big tits. I, maybe she didn't. <laughs> That's my picture. But, but, but the woman that you do see the in woman many rom-coms. that you see in rom-coms is that, you know? Yes. So was that intentional? Was it not? What, what, tell me about that. I want to know more. Yeah, that was intentional. Um, there's a certain level of, you know, aspirational fantasy that I think comes with the rom-com genre that is f- just fun. It's just pure fun. Yeah. Um, so I'm very aware that these characters are sort of types, but um, if you look a little bit closer, <laughs> uh, Kate, Katie, who's the quote-unquote femme, right. um, she actually has all the grit. She's really strong. She's a yeah. really strong character. Cassidy, who's the supposed butch, the strong butch. Right. Um, Cassidy is she's very vain. Softie. She's a softie. <laughs> she's way. She's kind of way more emotional than Katie oh, in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, you know, she's the one with that like, cares about. You know, her. She's got her three hundred dollar haircuts and whatnot. And oh, yeah, and the there suits. are a few places where um, that you know that sort of comes out. I think in the book, and that's sort of a subversion. Yeah. You know, but. If, if you're not looking for it, you can easily miss it, and that's fine. Um, people who come to this and, like, are picturing the Nora Ephron-esque, um, you know, I could easily, it, one can easily make the argument that, um, you know, Katie is, you know, your typical sort of American girl doll, beautiful, right. blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, Barbie sort of, and Cassidy is basically... Um, Richard Gere in Pretty Woman yeah. or Mr. Big in Sex and the City. Right. And I'm fine with that. Like, that's, there's, enjoy. Yeah. Like, enjoy that. If, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with those with those properties. No, definitely um, not. I actually envisioned Cassidy as more beautiful, if that makes sense. Like, when I pictured her in my yeah. head, like, right. the way that you write about her, she's so striking. You know what I mean? And that's exactly when you're talking about Cassidy. She's, to me, I was like, she's such a fucking softie. Like, when you start reading about her, you're like, she's coming off tough, and there's all these different things, but she's so complex. And that made her more physically beautiful in my mind's eye. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that, other than the fact that I love the idea that you gave us room to not just see them at surface value, but, like, when you start learning more about who they are on the inside, it changes everything. Yeah, and, you know, the gaze. The The gaze. gaze. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Not G A Y S G A Z. Yeah. Um, 
that's part of that, right? Like yeah. the male gaze as opposed to the female gaze. I don't really, I don't, I mean, we could get into the weeds with what, what, how we define those things. But for me, um, you know, the gaze of this novel and perhaps possibly at some point movie, um, if the cards fall right, hope so. um, it's coming from a female gaze or a queer gaze because, um, these aren't two props, right? They, they both have humanity. They right. both contain multitudes. They both have contradictions. Um, neither one of them exists very squarely on one side of a binary. Yeah. Um, so that right there um, blows up like what we traditionally think of as, as, a, as a male gaze story or a story that's perpetuating yeah. um, dominant stereotypes of gender or sexuality. Okay, I just had a thought because part of this podcast is us figuring out what the fuck the female gaze really means, even, right? We don't know. (laughs) Yeah, because we're figuring. So, okay, I think this is a good example. So, the character of Katie, if this book were written by a man and uh, there was no. There was no agenda about gender sexuality in the book. Then, if Katie was a character that was written by that person in that context, then there's a pretty good chance that the reason why she's described as beautiful and femme, et cetera, et cetera, is because that is the kind of woman that the author likes to write, likes to see, that a male audience likes to read about or watch about or hear about. And it's just kind of the default, right? Like a pretty femme woman, boom. But that's not why you wrote that character that way. You were writing that character because you you wanted to set up this dynamic between these two different types of people. You're writing her with intention because we are used to seeing that kind of character and you want to use that to subvert it in a queer way, right? Like it it wasn't a thoughtless creation of a typical hot femme woman, right? And that is part of the female gaze. Yes. It is is the intention behind it. It's, It's making a choice for... The sake of the story and the audience that you're writing for, not because it's a default to like, what do straight cis dudes think is hot? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Um, For one thing, it it, it isn't with the intention just purely to titillate, which I think is often uh, when we talk about the male gaze, that like that's kind of it's objectification. You're looking at something as an object. What you as you were speaking though, I think. The level, like like you said, there's a level of intention. There's a level of self consciousness. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it is by choice. It's not by accident. It's the difference between um, camp and kitsch. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Camp. Yes. You know, I think was it Susan Sontag who said camp is basically you know you're putting um, air quotation marks around something and that mm-hmm. that's what makes it camp. Yeah. There's there's a, there's there's um, there's a knowledge that you're bringing to it, a self-awareness that you're bringing to it. So in the sense of uh, gender, you know, gender as a performance, um, that's sort of what camp is. Kitsch is like, uh, it, it's there, the, that awareness isn't there. Kitsch can be tasteless without the knowledge that it's mm, tasteless, yes. right? Mm. So like a perfect example is Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump is like a kitsch object. Well, at least be- <laughs> he was before he was only president. Only a matter of time. Sorry. We can cut this out if you want. No, no, no. But like, no Donald, Donald Trump with his like golden toilet seats and whatever, yes. he doesn't know that he's, he's not campy because he doesn't have the sense to know that he's tasteless. Right. He's yes. not in on the joke. Yes. He's not in on his own joke. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There. That, that's that, that such sums a good, it up. Yeah. You na- nailed that. 
Um, okay, you mentioned Nora Ephron, and I want to get into all of that, and I feel like a good segue to Nora is if you would read a particular part of the book, which is yes. Yes, 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 after yes. Katie and Cassidy have had an intimate time together. You can no say spoilers, it. but okay. you know it's a rom com, so at some point, you know something goes down. <laughs> um, Katie talks to Cassidy about what her feelings suddenly are that have sprung up for another woman, and she's trying to understand them and trying to figure out how to articulate them. Sorry, I'll stop describing because the author's sitting here holding the book. Okay. <laughs> so I'll pass it off to you now. Um, yeah, quick. Like I think you set it up pretty well. Um, I mean. Spoiler alert! A little late because you already you already spoiled it. But um, oh, the two well, have just you're rude. Um, been intimate. <laughs> They've just had sex, and uh, basically, um, yeah, Katie's going over you know her feelings, and uh, basically, Katie asks Cassidy, um, you know, did you feel what I felt just now? Did you did you feel what I felt when that happened? And uh, Cassidy, the the softy that she is, puts her hand on Katie's heart and basically says, you know. Um, do you feel what I feel for you right now? I'm Which is dead. like such a... I'm dead. <laughs> I know, right? Don't look at um, me. <laughs> I love to imagine Camille's face writing this. I know. The fact that she's reading it, I'm just like, fangirl. Um, like, what do you tap so, into? So Katie, okay. Katie just kind of... Let her fucking read it. Katie just kind of pulls her hand off. Katie pulls Cassidy's hand off her heart, and she says, I'm sorry, heartbeats, heartbeats freak me out. I don't like the idea of this force pumped inside us having to work so hard all the time to keep us alive. Romantic, Cassidy says. I do feel it, though, Katie said. I feel the romance. Does it scare you more or less than having a beating heart, Cassidy asked. Honestly, Katie shook out the rumpled bedspread in search of her undergarments. I thought this weekend was going to be about us becoming better friends, that you were going to say what happened between us last week was just a one-time thing, something we had to get out of the way. And now? Katie located her underwear and slid them on. Did you ever have girlfriends growing up? I mean, friends who were girls, who you were totally obsessed with, and it seemed like no matter how much time you spent together, it was never enough? Katie grabbed Cassidy's chambray button down from the floor and put it on. You know that high-strung, excitable bond that a girl could only really have with her best girlfriend? Yeah, Cassidy said, I've had that. What happens when all of that gets rolled up into the same person you're sleeping with? Mm. Mm. I'm, I, I have full, look at my fucking hair. <laughs> Talk about horny. Talk, yeah, Jesse's been horny for a week straight. <laughs> um, okay, Let's so I asked you to read that passage. Because it strikes me as something that is unusual in a rom-com, considering that rom-coms are usually about a straight man and a straight woman. And this moment that happens after they have slept together for the first time, or it's the second time, or whatever it is, um, there's usually something that happens where the woman has emotions and the man doesn't. <sighs> And we laugh at the woman for having emotions, and we feel bad for the man who now has to deal with this woman who has emotions all of a sudden. Because what the fuck? Like, just chill. We just fucked. Like, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Why are you so obsessed with me? God. Right. And also because I feel like you describe this in a very relatable way to queer women, that feeling of... Well, I don't know. It's a lot of That things. feeling of are you feeling what I'm feeling and can we talk about it right now instead of playing these fucking games for weeks. Right. Like, and also, I don't know actually how much you were um, implying this about what she's saying, but it does remind me of 
when you start dating women and then all of a sudden you think back to all the girlfriends you had platonically your whole life and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, maybe this is why I was so obsessed with whatever, my best friend, senior year of high school, and I just wanted to sleep <laughs> in the same bed with her all the time. We all have <laughs> that best friend from high school. always hold her hand, uh, but it was chill. We were just friends and then you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of all those things in you, one. You go back and you reevaluate all yeah. of those really intense friendships that you had right. um, as, as an adolescent growing up. Uh, yeah. Those sleep overnights mm-hmm. where you just yeah. stay up all night and it's never enough time. I mean, that is exactly what it's like when you start sleeping with like a girl that you're dating. It's yeah. like the same feeling. It's the same thing, but you're yeah. having sex and it's that like emotional chemical, everything on top of that. Exactly. Like, best friend sleepover and it's just magical. Right. So to bring it back to Nora, <laughs> our old friend Nora, RIP Nora, RIP. Um, who, look, let me just state for the record, Nora Efron is a goddess. And nothing bad will be said about her in my presence, but we can still analyze her work and we can question her work. And you know what? Nora was not perfect. And if she were still alive today in this moment that we're having, I think maybe she would also have some, you know, critical questioning things to say about her own work. Okay. So when Harry met Sally, she wrote it, but not not directed it. Rob Reiner directed it. So we have to keep that in mind when we talk about the gaze that is in that movie. And again, this is another complicated thing. We'll get into the weeds and continually on this podcast. But that passage from your book reminds me of when Harry and Sally sleep together for the first time. And there's that classic scene where they're like lying in bed afterwards (laughs) and Sally is just oozing with emotion. I mean, the look on her face is like, I mean, it's one of Meg Ryan's finest moments, right? Of just looking like she is floating in heaven. And then you look at Billy Crystal's face and... (laughs) paralyzed in fear (laughs) paralyzed and (sighs) i feel like when you watch that scene you are supposed to empathize with him this is my take i know that ultimately at the end of the film they seem to find this this like thesis they end on when he says start the new year's eve party like you know basically i realize that the whole point of being alive is like have what you and i have and to be in love and whatever and Camille probably remembers the exact quote. Do you? I don't. Okay. Sorry to let you down. When you, like, realize that you found the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, you want the rest of your life to start now or something, okay? It was very cute and whatever. But but I don't think that they were making that argument all the way through. And I think in that scene, and maybe this is because Rob Reiner was directing it, and so it was Nora's beautiful, perfect female gazy script, but a man directing, in that moment, you are laughing at Sally because she is so clueless and she has gone so far beyond what is reasonable after just having had sex with him and you are like in his skin wanting to get the fuck out of there. Right. And so it was so, it was such a relief to read in your book this moment where they've like come together and it's amazing and the sex is like everything you've wanted them to experience. Right. And they both feel good about it afterwards. <laughs> what the on, fuck? Does that happen? You know, they're yeah. on the same page. Right. It doesn't create tension between them. Yeah. You know, the sex is not a problem. I mean, I remember even growing up and literally hearing from my friends that, you know, careful if you have sex with this guy because, you know, they're going to think you're going to get too attacked. It was all about oh, yeah. the emotional oh, yeah. part. And you're just like, well, what if I just want to have sex? <laughs> you know, but the guy's like, oh, she might get emotional. She might get attached because those pheromones. Like, yeah, okay, that's a good point, actually. It should be said, women don't always feel this way after sex. <laughs> no, they don't, but also not even that, but it's just the fear of an, a, a woman having an emotion after a moment that is 
when two people climax, you can't be <laughs> upset about that. And if you are, then you need fucking help. You know, like Billy Crystal at the end of that, like like you said, if we are supposed to be like feeling from like, oh man, that fucking crazy bitch. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like it just it makes no sense. And why is why should emotional woman be something that scares people or something that we're trained to be scared of? Right. And the hero is the man who realizes at the end of his long journey that, oh, love is okay. Oh, round oh, of applause. Some of love. us already knew that, but right. glad you got there. Right. Um, anyway, so I I just think part of this female gaze thing, and this is very prevalent in your book, is just the fact that, well, okay, I guess this isn't entirely true. Cassidy does struggle with yeah. feelings. <laughs> Cassie definitely feelings. struggles with feelings. <laughs> yes. I mean, but I don't feel like you do. Like the author doesn't. The point of view of the book doesn't struggle with feelings. It's mm. a, you, it, like the, the characters can. But what is the point of the view that the artist is taking? That's what I think makes something the female gaze or not. Ooh. Okay. You just blew deep. my mind just there. Okay. Deep. <laughs> Shit. I'm I mean, mic drop. <laughs> You are the artist, so do you? Yeah. Was that your what? What was your feelings about uh, emotions? What are your feelings about emotions in your own life, Camille? <laughs> Come on, Camille. <laughs> we want to zoom out for a second. I'll just start, start paying there. you three hundred dollars yeah. an hour if we begin talking that. I mean, I'll take it. Um, I'm gonna speak to the. I'm gonna speak of the work. Okay. Uh, and less about my <laughs> sure. my intention. Fair. Um, fair, fair. That's writers shy, talking about writing. Artists talking about. It's just. Uh, yeah. I'm way too populist for that. Um, <laughs> in the book, in the work, um, a critical decision was having it be um, third-person close POV alternating chapters. So we get we get Katie's perspective, we get Cassidy's perspective, mm-hmm. we get Katie's, we get Cassidy's. It alternates chapters. It's in the third person, so it's not eyes. Mm-hmm. It's it's she's. So there's a certain certain distance there so you're getting a little bit of a a narrative voice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but what you're really getting um is you're getting cassidy's exterior through katie's eyes and katie's exterior through cassidy's eyes and you're getting cassidy's internal thoughts from herself Uh and katie's internal thoughts from herself Uh so um in that sense um the reader gets things that, you know, the, the reader can see the disconnect between, for example, Cassidy trying to be really tough and hard and performing yeah. masculinity um, in a way that she really kind of fails at, yeah. you know? I mean, Katie kind of mm-hmm. laughs at her in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, but she's trying. She's trying to be so tough. She's trying to have this hard exterior. But we, but we know we know that the second she meets Katie, she's changed, yeah. right? This is the first time she's really falling in love with somebody. She is feeling the feels, and she, it is freaking her the hell out. She's used to the one, she's used to being the one that like blows a girl off after a hookup. You know, she she's her conquests are usually just sort of a notch in her belt. But Cassidy's dealing with a lot of stuff. She's aging out. You know, she's thirty. She's she's starting she's to age hot. out of her lifestyle. She's still hey still hot. Okay. Nothing not hot about thirty. <laughs> That's right. Um, Alana doesn't know that yet. Shut the fuck. You'll up. know. <laughs> you'll find out. <laughs> You know, the bar, uh, their bar, Metropolis, is going to be closing. And right. so it's forcing her to sort of evolve. And, and she's dealing with all of these other things beyond the fact that, you know, she's she's fallen in love with this woman. Um, so there's other things going on for these characters. And I think that adds that adds that, that the gaze, I think, is the gaze is all about um, allowing for multiplicity, uh, allowing for contradiction, mm. um, yeah. mm-hmm. allowing for humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I think, you know, what you were just describing in terms of you're seeing the outside from the opposite and the inside from those people, I think that's what makes that one moment so special when I think it crosses over when Katie is in Cassidy's closet <laughs> and Cassidy says that she loves Katie. And that's kind of something that as a reader, you would have expected Cassidy to think or say to herself, because that's and just how you describe. That's how we've been learning throughout the book. And in that moment, Katie hears that Cassidy loves her, which is like that like she wasn't supposed to but she did and I think that like that moment when the when the two cross together is so beautiful because you're like oh my god rom-com <laughs> there it Fuck is yeah. that very subtle coming out yeah. of the closet yes yeah, yeah. I had to fight I for got, that I was I like no that. we're doing it we're doing that. it I love that so Camille now that you have investigated your own gaze as a rom-com creator how do you feel about the rom-coms that inspired you growing up do you think they hold up under the female gaze <laughs> test? I think I think even if we you, you know you mentioned obviously uh, goddess Nora Ephron, uh -huh. um, you have to take everything in its context. I think if if Nora Ephron were historical context, historical context, the social context. You know, if you look at any movie from the eighties or the nineties, it does not age well right now. It just does not. And that's disturbing, but it's also a sign that we've evolved as a culture, so that's a good thing. It's mm -hmm. a good thing yeah. that we can look at those and not even necessarily sit down to watch it or watch something with a critical eye, just to watch something purely for entertainment mm -hmm. and still, like, not be able to not see it with a critical eye. That's good. That's a good thing. But, Camille, Heartburn? Uh, Heartburn's my favorite book, I think like, it, ever. I, I love it. It still holds up. I've never that's seen a movie because oh. I won't see it. I don't want to see it because I love the book so much. I know the book by I heart. That. Oh, that's um, fine. I th I think the movie follows it pretty closely. Yeah, one day maybe I'll see it. Okay. I'm afraid of my don't do it. My heart burned. Well, it's gone. I'm like, do I want to spoil the end of Heartburn? It's no. like 30 years old. Okay. Well, guys, watch Heartburn or read it. Um, read it first. Yeah. Read it first. A book and written by Nora, it. which is semi autobiographical, pretty autobiographical with some facts and names changed and then was a film starring Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson screenplay written by Nora directed by the great Mike Nichols who many I think would probably say was a fairly female gazy director especially for his time um, what about uh, Woody Allen <laughs> oh god Woody, we're going there she well there. only to ask I don't. Uh, it's probably impossible to even have this conversation, and and that's what we're here for. Take then. out the me tooiness and and everything. But I'm, I bring him up because I think about Mike Nichols or someone like Woody Allen who directed some films, especially earlier in his career, obviously that had these great roles for women, strong women, inspired a lot of actors and writers and directors, and so um, even though. The auteur we now have thrown into the garbage. Mm. I think what remains is a work that does, in a way, feel a bit female gazy, and certainly has inspired that and in a lot of other people. Do you not? You don't have to touch it if you don't want to. <sighs> I, you know, I just I don't know. I haven't given it enough. I, I don't. I haven't given it enough thought to speak of it in a way that I think brings anything intellectual to the table. Okay, um, that's fair. I I, I agreed. Um, and I think that's what's so great about this podcast is that I think that a lot of listeners might have something to say and sometimes not always the people in this room, like both Camille and I are like, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> but 
you know, if you have an opinion on, on what Jesse said and you want to contribute and join the conversation, then slide in the DMs. Yeah. Tro- I think Alana's asking you to troll me. Troll. Is what she's saying, so troll us. Bring it on. No, but I, I don't have a definitive opinion of it. I just, um, you know, my yeah. dog is named Alvy Singer. So Annie Hall has been a very important it's a, you, movie it's to me great... my whole life. Okay. And yeah. that character, uh, I mean, <laughs> that character was not the strongest woman. Let's be fair. Um, Annie Hall, but was a very unique character, was not in any way the prototype of a woman that we have ever seen in a rom-com. And so I think that movie did do something to further the genre. And that's what I'll say. And it was of its time. Yeah. I and think it was we all have time. to look at these, like even something, even, even you know, Great You've point. Got Mail or, or you know, whatever. It, it's of its time. Yeah. It's of its time. And if Nora everyone was going to make a rom-com, God only, if only she were still making movies, if she was going to make a rom-com right now, it wouldn't be the same because yeah, the thing right. that was great about her work was that they were these they were these fun little treats, but they were also sort of mini historical documents mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. a time. Mm-hmm. They're all very timely. Yeah. Um, and they tell a story of a very particular contextual moment. Um, so it, that's fine. There, that There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. I mean, Sleepless in Seattle. Any thoughts? Female gaze and Sleepless? Uh, I'm a sucker for these. I, I'm, I love, I fucking love them. I, it's easy for me to overlook these things sometimes when I'm so invested because I'm like, literally throw a rom-com at me and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So I, I, I don't. You turn off that part of I turn brain. off that part. Is that a good thing? Probably not. Maybe it is just thing. to enjoy, but. But I haven't thought about that. So let's specific. Give me an example within Sleepless in Seattle that you that you want me to debate. <laughs> like, um, is, okay, was he a man worthy of her love? Was he a man worthy of her love? Well, is anyone worthy of anyone's land? What? Oh wow, way to dodge. <laughs> dodge that fucking bullet. I think it passes. I think, I'll go first. I think, I think it yeah. passes. I think. Um, Look, Nora also directed, that's a movie that she actually directed, directed yeah. right? And that, I believe, was her, the first movie that she directed. So I think you're very much seeing him through the female gaze as she was the writer and the director. And it's very much about, listen, like, Meg Ryan hears him on the radio, on the radio right? Yeah. We, like, we discover her discovering him by kind of, like, hearing him with her, which, well... Reminds me of something I want to bring up about A Star is Born. Put a pin in that. Bring yeah. it. Put a pin. Should we just p- pivot to A Star is Born? Um, qu- yes. I agree that I think it's female gazy sleepless in Seattle. And I think the way that the acting, inter- I, the way that we saw Tom's story was so, fe- I don't know how else to fucking say it, female gazy. You know what I mean? Like because it didn't. A good dad. He, and it he was had, about being a good dad. He had feelings that we were able to see. That's true. He had feelings that we Very could point. and emotions that we could read and digest. Yes. And he was okay with them. In it fact, wasn't she a falls man in love with him because, because of his of emotions. The feelings. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of male characters that we were seeing at the time that those movies were released were the Billy Crystals after having sex with Meg Ryan. And yeah. we see Tom and we fall in love with him the way that she does because... He has feelings. Right. We can see them. Right. He's not trying to hide them with his, with his dick. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. And so also, and you've got mail. Yeah. There's that whole thing about how she can never say the mean thing that she wishes she had said. Yeah. 
And then she finally is able to say the like dickish thing. And then she feels like shit, which is like, okay, I think that's a good take, right? Yeah. Like being mean and cold hearted isn't always the answer and definitely doesn't always make you feel better. Right. Okay. Okay. So feeling good. Okay. I'm feeling good about the F on Yeah. All right. Now let's pivot. The movie on everyone's lips. (laughs) (laughs) Star is born. Does it embody the female gaze? Directed by a man. Um, Gaga certainly had a lot of influence in that movie mm-hmm. and I think writing the story or fleshing out the characters I mean obviously it's a story that existed in many different iterations before this most recent one mm-hmm. um, but ultimately it was Bradley Cooper's movie Yeah, uh, it has always been a very big uh, career vehicle for women right it's like been this iconic role that People like Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand have played and um, is really about the rise of this woman while this man is falling. Also like damsel in distressness. Well, right. So I was trying to give it its female gaze props. But on the other hand, (laughs) yeah, it's about a man rescuing a woman. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. How do you guys feel? I think you said this to me and it stuck with me because after I watched The Star is Born, I was like, best fucking movie, blockbuster, seeing it twice, three times, let's yeah, go. Yeah, I'm always good at ruining that for me. Yeah, people. yeah, you, you ruined it for me. Um, but you said that the whole movie, you said, do you realize that you were watching the whole movie, you were looking at Gaga through his eyes? Literally, like you're I, literally watching him watch through her. through his eyes, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, you're right. Because you're, the story is being told through him. It's about her and ob- ob- obviously him as well about their relationship, but through his choices, his eyes, his kind of everything. And she's the damsel in distress and she runs to him when he, it, it almost felt like she was such a strong character, but she runs to him every time he's failing and it's I don't know it's but also that's like a level of toxic relationshipness that maybe is separate from male and female cases (laughs) like I've been in that fucking relationship before you know what I mean I don't think that's anything to anything but I do think that it was it had a very heavy man hand in it Mm -hmm. I think that maybe I loved it so much because I'm used to that kind of content growing up and for me like a love story and being saved and rescue me whether you're Bradley or Cassidy like let's go (laughs) but um, I, I think you ruined it for me when you said that I think it Sorry. is not as female gazy as I would have liked. I still enjoyed the movie. Fair. Oh, yeah. And like, by the way, we can totally still enjoy male yeah. gazy films. Camila, your, your eyes. Something's going on in your head. What's up? That wasn't totally my take when I saw it. Um, maybe just because I find Lady Gaga so much more interesting than Bradley Cooper. Yes. Um, I wasn't watching it. And I know he directed it. Um, but the whole time I was watching... From the from the moment it sort of opens with drag queens, I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, this this movie, when I saw the trailer, I had zero interest in seeing this movie. I was like, nope, this is gonna be uh, this isn't for me. Right. And when I saw the movie, I I was I I underestimated Gaga's talent for just across the board being 
I think her I think she's a great talent. And mm-hmm. I think Agreed. that like Hands there down. were so many things about that movie, there is no way it came from Bradley Cooper's brain. They are pure gaga. <laughs> I mean, you can just see it. Well, I could especially feel in that it. first half, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I don't know, you know, I'm gonna push back that she I don't think she's the damsel in distress in this movie at all. I think she's 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 pretty tough. Um she's a straight talker, she's a straight shooter, and um if anything, she's saving him. You know, she's saving him. Yeah, eventually. I guess just at, at the beginning, kind of the, the basic plot of all of these versions of the movie is that he's plucking her out of obscurity. He's giving her her shot at stardom. She would not have yeah. this if not for him discovering her. He sees something that no one else has ever seen in her before, at least no one who could give her a shot at a career. I think that's what we were right. referring to. Yeah, yeah. But her talent... And the I mean the character's I mean, talent her. the characters the character's talent is is there. Mm-hmm. The movie is about fame, and it's about yeah. love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. And I I gotta say this it was one of the greatest depictions I think of like if anyone who's ever like been in love or dated mm-hmm. someone who's an active alcoholic or mm-hmm. um, has loved someone who's struggling with addiction like I feel like it really yes. it did a good job with that. Yes. Um, so, I have one objection to that. Okay, the first time that they have sex, that really bothers me in the movie because he is in the middle of a blackout. You're right, right? And like, I'm sorry, like mm. when you're that fucked up, you don't wake up two hours later and like a new man ready Wanna to have fuck, a really yeah. connected romantic physical experience. That scene bothered me too. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. I think my biggest issue with the movie, talking about the gays is that I never really fell in love with them as a couple because oh, I, did. I felt like she had so much more going for her than he did. <laughs> like I know, he's but like they're an wrong. old drunk. Like what does she love so much besides his fame and the fact that he is putting his attention on her? And then he's like Bradley Cooper looking hot and weathered and like <laughs> Smells like mahogany. Like I don't know. I don't think he smelled like mahogany. No. I think he smelled <laughs> think he like, like cigarettes on the vodka. inside of a whiskey bottle. Yeah. Um, okay. I think I. Oh, fuck you, Jesse. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's she challenge. has to fall in love with him because it's Bradley Cooper, and I it's his loved movie. their love because it seemed, and maybe this is like the flighty, dreamy girl in me. It seemed like, despite all, they could conquer. You know what I mean? Like that to me, I just loved the love that they had. And I don't know if it was, I don't know what it was, but I So you felt I their felt, connection. I felt their connection. Yeah. I thought they had chemistry. Did I thought you? they absolutely had chemistry. I think they had beautiful chemistry in the beginning. The way if you're getting involved with someone who you very quickly realize is sort of toxic for you, yeah. it can be really invigorating yeah. in the beginning. And it's all fun and it's all fast. And, you know, she's getting on the bus or they're playing and like you know it's all and then pretty right. quickly I mean we're like a third of the way through the movie when you know his true colors come out and yeah. then it's sort of like a codependent horrible nightmare that like Toxic. you just feel I felt sympathy for her through the, yeah. through, the, through that whole second half um, yeah the Grammy scene oh she's whole I mean she literally is holding him up yeah 
Um, Guys, that scene is absurd. He did not need to piss himself. He that didn't. was so he over did the not top. need to piss that himself. That was melodramatic. That was the end that of the movie extra. for me. That was extra. That was like, extra. You guys have really gone out of control. Well, I think the second half of the movie lost me. There were some parts where my brain started thinking about like, oh, I think I need to pee or like, should I eat more popcorn? And to me, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed as if there was so much character development. You're investing. You're investing. You're, and then it's like the storyline about the her career. Like it doesn't really yeah. go anywhere other than he's like. You almost want to think, like, is she going to go back to her, quote, roots with him and do the kind and whatever, the music that they used to make. Right. And he has a problem with that. And then that whole thing. But she believes in that song about all the asses. OK, there's that. <laughs> and then you're trying to follow, like, when he goes to rehab and he has that one, like, two and a half second conversation where he's, like, tried to kill myself once with a belt. And, so, yeah. you <laughs> okay, know, okay, and then, I, you know on. what I mean? Like, so there's so much in the end of the movie that they tried to pack in. She doesn't have a problem with the popularity and commercialization of her music in, he in the did. movie. He did. Yes. He does. And I think you can apply it to the movie at large. The people who are going to this movie are want to go to this movie yes. for the out like the outrageousness of yes. outrageousness of it. They want it. They want the melodrama. Mm. The, the mel mm. melodrama is a plus, not a minus. Mm. The people who are drawn to this movie want to eat their popcorn and they want to watch it. Mm -hmm. And they 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 are not they are not going to be critical when Bradley Cooper pisses himself in that scene yeah. because it's like <laughs> yep. it goes, they want they want this movie to go too far. Yeah. Um, it's a commercial film. It's a commercial film. It's a popcorn movie. Yeah. Um, this is, it's probably going to win a bunch of awards. That's and that's all a whole other story. It's going to be, but, but you know, who? I have a special place in my heart for any, any, any work that can straddle that line where it's, it could be commercial mm -hmm. and popular mm -hmm. and also spark really smart, yeah. dialogue about the things it, that yes. we're talking about. I liked the movie, man. No, good. Great. <laughs> I thought it succeeded I in, enjoyed in its it. intentions. Yeah. It, it, I think it, it, it did what it... Uh, I hear you, Jesse, and I agree with you. Yeah. Like, like, if I were going to talk about this you know, totally critically, like we could, we could absolutely rip, rip it apart. It. We yeah. could rip it to shreds. Yeah. Um, but why? But why? why? It was fun. The music yeah. was good. I was highly entertained. Me too. It was yeah. like over two hours and went by really fast. <laughs> yeah. Word. I Word. mean, look, I want this podcast ultimately to be a positive place. Gaga's amazing. I wish her all the best. And if she ends up winning an Oscar, fuck I hope yeah. she does. And Gaga single-handedly made, I will stand by this, Gaga single-handedly made this movie camp and not kitsch. Yes. Mm. She is That's a it. true Full circle, artist. Camille. <laughs> Fucking love when we come full circle. <laughs> also, I'm so excited for the when Katie McCassidy Oscar campaign. I hope you'll come back when uh, yes, that please. time comes. And Press I will totally fingers. stand for that movie winning all the Oscars. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we, uh, guys, just to mention, so we have a wheel that we spin at the end of every episode that has different debate topics on it, um, <laughs> that we will in future episodes be making our guests spin and then randomly have to give us a hot take on a topic. But we had a star is born on the wheel before Camille came in and realized that we definitely wanted to talk to her about that movie. So we forego the sp spinning of the wheel. I'm just saying that I'm, I'm laughing now because Jesse's talking about the wheel spinning. And as she's saying that, Camille's looking down. <laughs> we tried to assemble it before this, and it is currently just the actual wheel part. Listen, with, no like, one needs to know how the sausage gets made on this podcast. It's literally just a circle, God. a flat. I'm a really flat. glad I sidestepped the wheel. <laughs> There's no way to spin this That's part of my day. But wow. we'll Lana, assemble that's it. That's the real spoiler of the episode. Oh, yes. The wheel, <laughs> the wheel is, not, is assembled. not It's a flat thing. All right. But anyway. Camille, 
Thank Camille. you so much for being our first guest. Fucking rock star. Thank you for letting me pop the female gaze podcast. Jerry. Oh, oh yeah. I like it. It's yeah. a very auspicious beginning for us. <laughs> Everyone, please, please read When Katie McCassidy. It is a fucking good book. It's a great read. It'll make you happy. I just, it gave me all the feels. So I'm so honored that you're here with us. It Thank you so much. Such a good book. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Camille. Okay, that's it for today's episode. A huge thank you again to Camille Perry. Be sure to check out her book, When Katie McCassidy, available everywhere that you find these crazy antiquated things called books. (laughs) Or I guess if you're more up-to-date than I am, you can find it on your Kindle or other digital devices. I don't know. they got it. It's not even... I like I like to have physical books because it's like good for my ego. Right, I can like right, look right. at it and be like, I'm still smart. I still read books. <laughs> um, all right, guys, this is the Female Gaze Podcast. Thank you for listening. Now, this is so important. If you enjoyed the show, actually, even if you hated the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes because you can hate subscribe. Hopefully, you're gonna love subscribe mm-hmm. and also rate and review us on iTunes. We would love to hear what you think on iTunes specifically. Um, that is a way that we can get some traction in iTunes and get more eyeballs or earballs on the show. Um, but of course, we also have social media. Alana, I'll let you take it. <laughs> At Female Gaze Pod on Twitter, Instagram. Um, that's all we have for now. <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> I don't know. We got a Facebook? No, yeah. No. Um, but yeah, slide in our DMs. Tell us what's up. We want to talk to you. If you have ideas of content that you want us to talk about, if you want to talk about shit with us, just, just slide in the DMs. That's right. And also, if you want to suggest a topic for our debate wheel. Oh, yeah. We don't want to come up with these topics on our own. We want you to give us the topics. Yeah. So tweet, DM, whatever, what you think you would like to hear us debate on the show, and we will throw it on the wheel and give you a shout out if we spin on your question. Yeah. Um, And yeah, we're also going to be tweeting every episode from our account, so if you could please retweet that, share the episodes with your friends, that'd be much appreciated. Do it all. Do it all. We just want to share. Just share. The salon is for sharing. (laughs) That's right. And caring. (laughs) Uh, All right, gazers, that'll do it for today. We'll see you next week. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.